From Live Consulting, this is Cannabis Business Minds with your hosts, Simone Samaluka-Radzins and Kristen Yoder. Hi, uh, welcome to Cannabis Business Minds. I am super excited to introduce one of my mentors and good friends, Dr. Jeffrey Raber. He has been researching and refining cannabis analytical chemistry and testing protocols for seven years, both nationally and internationally. Dr. Raber is an accomplished scientist, patented inventor, and seasoned executive. Jeff, thank you. Well, thank, thank you for you coming so to the show. Yes. Thank you both for having me. It's uh, quite a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Well, that was like such a brief intro. We got to talk a little bit before we started recording. Can you give our listeners and myself a little bit more information yeah. about your background? You mentioned you've been in Poland Certainly. speaking. Yep. Uh, could you give us a little bit more? No, happy to do so. So my technical background starts with a bachelor's in biochemistry, okay. and then I came out to uh, the University of Southern California to get my PhD in synthetic organic chemistry. So I got that in 2002. And then in 2010, we opened our doors as a cannabis testing lab. Um, Before then, I've been Mm -hmm. in fine chemicals, pharmaceutical, generic drug manufacturing, things uh, of that type. Mm -hmm. So professional fine chemical business is what I've always done as an entrepreneur. Um, Started an internet provider back in college, even before I got out here, when everyone called it AOL still. Yeah, AOL. Yeah, (laughs) So I I like to be at the the cutting edge, at the front of the curve, and really start carving new paths. And Mm -hmm. I think there's no better place to do it than cannabis. So at the end of 2008, my brother was asked to build a dispensary in Orange County as he Mm -hmm. was part of a construction team. And I was like, what's that? That doesn't (laughs) sound very legal. I'm not sure that's okay. Um, And he kind of said they called it medicine, and they said there were laws about that. So I was not politically interested, politically active in any way, Mm -hmm. didn't pay attention to anything other than school and going to school and, you know, staying on that straight path for me. But that was fascinating um, to me. In my graduate work in chemistry, our first project that I worked on involved the poxins. So I'll describe that. Um, They're involved in the Mm anti-inflammatory cascade. They're uh, related to things like Vioxx and Celebrex that you know about today. Mm But it's the body's natural, you know, inflammation type modulators. They're in, derived from arachidonic acid, which was really interesting to me because anandamide is as well. So what I found out in graduate school was I was looking at kind of two legs of the three-legged stool from arachidonic acid. We never learned about the endocannabinoid system. Mm-hmm. We're never told about anandamide or 2-AG or any of these bodies' natural cannabinoids that we produce. So when he kind of said, look at this, yeah. and you look at it from a fresh medical perspective, and I still had you know all access to the university's yeah. resources... The whole world lit up, and I was like, wow, wait a minute. There's a whole biological system that relates to mood, appetite, body's inflammation, um, pain-killing and modulation, and kind of took that look like the Schaefer Commission did, where you say, if I look at all the science and I look at all the you know possibilities of what these things could do for us, mm-hmm. just come out the other end saying this is an absolute no-brainer that you have to do it. There's, yeah. there's no toxicity level where it's really, really difficult to manage. That's why people can kind of consume cannabis like they do today, and they don't have to worry about turning off their heart and lungs. They don't have to worry about overdoses of that type. And there's so much utility that could come from it. Mm -hmm. And there's all sorts of things like food, textiles, fuels, everything. If we could just go look at, you know, cannabis as a natural resource 
and it yeah. consumes CO2 out of the atmosphere, so that would help with the environment. <laughs> yeah. So all of these things just kind of add up really quickly when you do a little bit of work. And at that point, I said, I, I feel like I have to do something. I have mm-hmm. my own medical needs. I see a lot of people that could be benefited and helped in a great fashion from just cannabis as a medicine. Um, but it seems what's lacking is science. No one understands mm-hmm. what they could do with it. No one understands what they have. Mm-hmm. And what you could notice when we started in 2008, 2009 and talking about it was, well, they've obviously been able to breed the plant for THC, right? Mm-hmm. Increase those levels to something considerable. It is manipulated in that fashion because you have a physiological detector by the cultivator. I feel really, you know, psychoactive effects. Mm-hmm. But no one's going to drive CBD that way. No one's going to drive other types of molecules that the plant could make that way until you get like a molecular lens, which would come through a testing lab. Mm. So the only way we're going to advance cannabis as its major utility could be offered to us in in terms of which molecules we use when, which product is right for mm-hmm. whom, how do I map the right product composition to the right patient, mm-hmm. can't do that unless you take an analytical chemistry perspective and some sort of way of saying which molecules are here in which fashions. Mm-hmm. Um, that coupled to my own medical needs and feeling like this is a green, sustainable endeavor, it's something that you could create jobs that stay in the United States with instead yep. of watching a lot of scientist jobs are exported elsewhere for tax reasons or mm-hmm. money manager reasons, not you know for any good reason in yep. my opinion. It was just like I was really compelled to start something in cannabis because I thought it could open up so many other doors in so many other ways. Absolutely. And it has opened up so many doors in so many different ways. And with that said, you have had a testing lab in California. Then you went up to Washington Mm -hmm. and you have your testing lab there. Then you started your processing up there as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Then you have in Oregon, you've got processing there as well. And as a cannabis business podcast, I would just like to know if you could let our listeners know what were some of the barriers to entry. I mean, yeah. there's every a billion barrier of them, you could imagine. exactly. <laughs> in states. Yeah, yeah, in every yeah. state. So, yeah. I mean, that was one of the other things, maybe I'm a little twisted in that fashion, but the intellectual challenge that this represented was one of the exciting parts of mm-hmm. doing it. So I think a lot of people think, oh, cannabis business, easy money, I should go after that. Mm-hmm. Wrong. Let me just totally clarify yeah. that right now. That is Thank totally you. wrong. Totally. Yes. <laughs> it couldn't be further from the truth. Not um, for the faint of heart. No, this mm-hmm. is the highest bar that you could ever set for any business ever. No right? pun intended. So, yeah. <laughs> it's not that I only have to comply with what I usually do, yep. but I have other things that I have to do. Things that aren't easy to do have to get done. Mm-hmm. And there's no place with much greater scrutiny than here. So count on your audits, count on your regulatory scrutiny, count on being looked at in a bad negative fashion, count on nothing being opened easily for you, and you're going to have to push through all of it. So it's not that it's the easiest way to make money. It is the hardest way to do it. It Mm -hmm. is the most challenging. And as you see state regulations and the regulatory structures with new laws that come about, it gets even harder. So we've been able to watch in Washington a lot of people that were involved in the medical game. Mm -hmm. And we had thought, hey, that's like a head start into the fully licensed, you know, mm-hmm. regimes. Everyone's going to be able to transition over, Mm-mm. be responsible. It's mm-hmm. quite the opposite. Yeah. In fact, almost no one made the transition. It was mm-hmm. a, quite the shock to me that they were 
basically like, well, I'll just go to the next black or gray market instead of saying I'm here for all the right reasons. Isn't and that I so go interesting? It's like an, a viable option. Fascinating. For yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's not. It's disappointing, is what it is. Yeah. I mean, we're here to argue that it's our, you know, fundamental and alienable rights to have access to plants or what I put into my body, mm-hmm. and I am a responsible citizen. I am a professional citizen, mm-hmm. and I'm here to do everything right. Mm-hmm. So I can't not have a lawyer. I can't not pay my taxes. I can't not do anything. Mm-hmm. You have to do it all exceptionally mm-hmm. right uh, if you're in a cannabis business. And to see people who don't have that mindset, mm-hmm. I think they're holding all of us back and they're holding back progress in society because that's really what the anti-side uses as their arguments, mm-hmm. right? Well, look at this. They don't do that. They're not going to follow. But there are some of us mm-hmm. that are saying, we'll follow everything, whatever the rules are, whatever the barrier is, we'll overcome it. We'll figure out a yeah. way to do that. Um, and we'll comply with every single regulation that you've got. So in Washington, um, you know, state regulations are, are new, but they're still shifting around. They're mm-hmm. still t- tinkering with what the initiative said. They're adding mm-hmm. new laws. They add new regulations. Something every cannabis business has to watch, like every day. Always on top of it. And each state is its own animal. Yes. So mm-hmm. we've taken it upon ourselves to kind of operate in multiple states so that people that work with us could work across that platform. We've kind of solved a lot of that problem for them. Mm-hmm. But it has taken years to get into place and figure out how to do that, how to go through. And mm-hmm. in uh, processing center-wise in Oregon, we really had to educate the local officials on what would hydrocarbon extractions look like, how mm-hmm. do you do that safely, mm-hmm. how do you design and engineer the facility, how do you go about you know, breaking down a lot of the, the mindset and the barriers to entry to say, look, here's how this is done. And you can think in a conceptual point that we have propane refilling stations, right? We have gasoline yeah. stations. They're pretty flammable too, last I checked. But they're engineered well. Your people are trained when they go mm-hmm. and do it. And it's easy to handle if you do it the right way. Exactly. So when you say, here's how you can do it the right way. Mm-hmm. Here's how the structure is put in place. Here's how things are engineered in a safe fashion. Here's the protections you put in place. Mm-hmm. Fire marshal starts to become your best friend instead of the one that you're fearful of. Yeah. So through education and information, that was why we started with a lab. You could generate a lot of information and start to educate mm-hmm. every lawmaker, regulator, every patient, doctor, and any general consumer. Here's what you have. Here's what you can get. Here's what we have to watch for. But education and, and really knowledge base is the key towards overcoming a lot of those barriers. Um, but as a, as a cannabis business, no other place is the level going to be as scrutinized as here. So that's yeah. part of the challenge and the fun, yeah. if you can overcome it. So what are your, I know you guys have worked together, and I've been on your website, and then before we were recording, you're like, oh no, we do so many more things that, <laughs> that's on the website. So what are you providing value? Like, what are, you, what are your offerings? So we do a lot of value add for brands. Okay. Um, so we will help uh, a lot of people understand, one, how to get through regulations the right way, two, mm-hmm. how to introduce new products to the marketplace, mm-hmm. and provide that scientific backbone for a lot of people that are seeking to be entrepreneurs or operators in the space. I see. So if they need testing help mm-hmm. and support, we can guide them and help them with that. If they need products that are manufactured, we do that under private labeling and white labeling functions. Um, design something new, investigate something for us. How mm-hmm. can you bring about the next new product? And then for us, how do we manufacture efficiently, cost effectively, scalably? Mm-hmm. And then how can you make this, you know, really where we'd all like to see it go? Standardized, consistent, mm-hmm. well-made, well-labeled, professionalized products. Exactly. Um, that's yeah. kind of what it's all yeah. about to me. So patients can't 
get the right medicine if they can't consistently get it. I think there's nothing more cruel than giving something to somebody that they benefit from and mm-hmm. then not delivering it again. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's it's torture. Like, yeah, that's it's pretty torture. insane to me. So it's not okay to change the name of your products. It's not okay if their composition changes and now they don't work. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of people. Um, maybe even unknowingly so, aren't understanding that what they did was very different. They thought they did the same thing. Mm -hmm. Someone told them they gave them the same strain, but they had no idea it was drastically different. Um, They Mm -hmm. don't watch, like, the rate of decarboxylation, so all of a sudden their product's half as potent as it was the time before. Mm -hmm. It wasn't tested the right way, so they got bad info that they relied on. There's all sorts of those types of problems. So that was... Just seeing that rather quickly at the end of 2008, I was like, wow, there is, you know, this is not going to advance as a medicine until we can really deal with this like scientists and start pushing it forward from that perspective. And what's interesting about standardization and consistency is in Washington and Oregon, the lab is the regulator for everyone else, basically. If you fail a test, your product does not go to market. I mean... But the problem is, is like who regulates the regulators and there's no standardized testing protocols for all labs to follow. And one of my questions that I wanted to ask you, because I think it's important for people to understand, what is the trouble of being an honest lab that gives results that people don't Mm -hmm. want when your competitors, you know, charge half as much and they give results that people want what it, I mean, and there's all nobody fair out and there. honest questions for sure. That's yeah. a, an excellent point. So I, I kind of jokingly say, being a testing lab mm-hmm. is the only job on the planet that you could do your job really well and lose all your clients. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so, seriously. And you know, an sorry, yeah. I found the pesticide. Sorry, yeah. this has mold. This is the wrong dose on your edible mm-hmm, product, and mm-hmm. it can't go to market. Well, they don't want to come back. They don't want to hear that. Mm-mm. We've had people ask, can I give you more money to give me a higher THC value on my flour? And I'm just like, that's not how the lab works. <laughs> You're like, there are other labs that work that way. Please yeah. let me know that is not how this is supposed to go. Mm-hmm. So I've spoken with you know lots of different states, eight different state regulators. I've testified okay. in Senate committee hearings in Pennsylvania and Oregon. Mm-hmm. I've really mm-hmm. been active in trying to educate lawmakers and regulators about how do we set up a good system of balance. And I think mm-hmm. California is going to be able to take one of the really best shots at doing it. Oh. Oregon has done a really good job so far. They've hit a couple of road bumps along the way, um, somewhat self-inflicted, but they're getting yeah. through them yeah. now. Are you talking about like the bottleneck of those like six main labs? Or that they're really not- I think it was the, well, somebody misunderstood the definition of process validation, and the labs in Oregon Mm. thought that meant lots of tests for me. But process validation Mm. is actually quite the opposite. If my process is validated, I should have to test it less because I know exactly what it's going to produce every single time. Mm -hmm. So they had that kind of backwards where they're like, you need all these samples to, you know, get through your validation. And you have to do like 20 pesticide tests on something you know that is homogeneous. And that's just senseless. So so, why would I try to overburden not enough labs? And why would I try to drive the cost up when this is supposed to be a very, you know, cost effective medication Mm -hmm. and it's not reimbursed by healthcare? So you really have a push on that. I'd say even harder. Plus like the 280 or the excise taxes that's all the extra tax and things like that. And I just, you know, as a quick aside, I look at it as cannabis for physiological purposes. Mm -hmm. Medical or adult use is more of a tax label, but everyone's probably looking at it for some sort of physiological response. So it should have the right purity, should be the right thing that you think it is, it should be consistent, you should know how much you're getting. So what we're doing with labs, and we Washington put this law in place late, Mm -hmm. 
we told them in 2012 this was going to happen, and it sure, is, you know, sure did, <laughs> which was not fair. Um, we said, look, you can't just certify a lab to be a lab without mm-hmm. checking that they can actually do the job the right way. Mm-hmm. They said, well, we, we, you know, okay, I guess we kind of hear you, but we're just going to get going because we don't understand what you guys are talking <laughs> about ever. Um, the problem with that is just because you have a degree, just because you have the equipment, doesn't mean you're running the samples the right way. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean you're producing the right result. And it doesn't mean that there was anything checked in terms of what was that number or did you catch the mold or pesticide. Mm-hmm. So the next step they thought would be, well, I'll just require you to be certified or in California they'll say ISO 17025 okay. accredited. Yeah. Well, the accreditor only checks that you're following your procedure and doing all your paperwork the same every time. Oh, they don't know so why you're doing, doing what you're doing. They're not saying that it was right. Oh. You can do the wrong thing repeatedly too, and you'll still get ISO accredited. So, in the absence of a proficiency test mm-hmm. or some sort of way of saying I know you're getting the numbers right, mm-hmm. that doesn't hold together either. So, what's missing in cannabis so far is that there's not an accepted standard that you can point to like USP 451 or USP, you know, this type of uh, testing that's been done, validated by tons of different labs mm-hmm. to say we can repeatedly get it right. That's not here yet today. Um, there are groups that are working on it. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily need a published and open method for labs to get it right. I mean, mm-hmm. you can get it right, and you can cross-validate between labs with the same samples saying they got this right, we spiked it with that pesticide, they find it. We put this mold or bacteria mm-hmm. on the flower. They found it. And you can do that through a proficiency test or a ring test. So okay. Department of Agriculture can do that. Mm-hmm. Other people inside the chain can do that. It can be monitored by the Department of Health while you do it. And I think California is going to work through seeing that, you know, Washington mm-hmm. has now added that to their law, but they haven't implemented it. There was one of the first ring tests by the Department of Ag. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it was in Colorado, but when they did it right, the, the department failed. actually got it wrong. Oh. Everyone else had oh, it right. Really? <laughs> so it's uh, a little bit of a learning curve, like yeah. how to do this the right way. Um, Project CBD in California did this a long time ago. There's an article called Who's Testing the Testers? Mm-hmm. How do you yeah. know that the labs are actually doing this right? And they prepared a what they thought was a homogeneous sample. Mm-hmm. They gave four samples total, which were two different ones. Three of those were the same. But even out of those three, you were mm-hmm. seeing variability because of how they prepared it. So, so it can be, time. yeah. Mm-hmm. So the test has to test how did I collect my sample, how did I prepare my sample, and how did I put it into the equipment. Mm-hmm. The only test that we've done in proficiency testing in cannabis so far has mm-hmm. been what we call a crack and shoot. You get the standard and you inject it into the machine. There's no sample prep, there's no sample collection, there's none of the big variables that you get. Mm-hmm. Amazingly, some have not even gotten that right which means that their equipment's not calibrated right, which wow. is yeah, like that's basic 101. You right? have to calibrate the equipment often. All the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. which is, yeah. And the question is, expensive. is it running right? Am I running it right? Am I sure it's running Are right? My people how running do I know right? it's running right? Then how do I know that they didn't do it wrong, right? And there's lots of internal yeah. double and triple checks all the time every day to oh, make sure those yeah. things are right. So to see that not being upheld... It's not too surprising when you don't have, say, the best of the best operating labs in the planet doing this type of service. Mm -hmm. You've got people that said, I don't know, I need a job. Maybe I'll get in there. You've got some lawyer that said, I think I should be a lab because it seems like a good business opportunity, Mm -hmm. but I have no idea what a scientist is. Exactly. And that's what I've heard. And it's just insane when you think about the ecosystem of this industry. I mean, you're a pillar. Lab testing is a pillar along with security, right? Like that's what's making it move. We talked about shrinkage in our last podcast, right, and just about reporting and fraud. 
in California, clearly nothing's mandated yet. Um, but how, if everything is self-reported, like I guess my, my question is, how are operators getting the samples to be tested? We know that a plant might yield differently. What mm -hmm. if they sprayed pesticides on half? Like, how does the lot and the batch process work to actually get lab tested? Yeah. So in California, there is none of yeah, that today, no, no. right? Yes. Yeah. So it is an interesting question. What's the definition of a batch? How yeah. is it defined? Yeah. How do I know that it was sampled correctly and, you know, I would say representatively, representative. right? That's the key word. How do I get a representative yeah. sample? Yeah. So... Connecticut State was forced, their legislature said, Department of Consumer Protection, you have to make the definition for medical grade, pharmaceutical grade medical cannabis. Mm. And they were like, whoa, that's a pretty high bar, right? How are yeah. we going to do that? So the result of that was the label that you put on your flower product has mm -hmm. to have a 3% variance on it. And the result of that is all of the flour is ground up and homogenized before it is tested multiple times, and then that number is averaged. Oh. So I can take multiple tests of something that is really homogenized, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. then I can get that number to be consistent. So that if they go out there, they grab this label, and they say, you said it was 12%, and it's 12 and a half, okay, mm -hmm. I'm fine. Mm -hmm. So that is extreme. Now, with a concentrate or other derivative products, that starts to become a lot easier because mm -hmm. they're, they can be uniform. Exactly. can become exceptionally hard if I make the wrong edible. Like, I can't really do a homogenous chocolate dip pretzel. Yeah. <laughs> that might be <laughs> a challenge, a gummy, right? right? Some of these things don't mix well. Some of them aren't yeah. made well. Sometimes yeah. your brownie pan is crooked. And, you know, you can say that we can watch the label in the lab says 75 grams of a brownie material. Mm -hmm. And you're like, well, this one's 110. Mm -hmm. And that one was 35, right? <laughs> you're like, so even if they got the milligram per gram right, they don't have the right amount in the bag to say that this is the total number of THC or CBD milligrams in there and this is not going to be accurately dosed either wow. so it's not just making food it's not making something no. decadent that looks pretty this is making like medical foods mm -hmm. and, and even on the adult use side it's as stringent as a medical food because Absolutely. it has to be uniform and consistent so you'll see that push towards certain types of products that are much more amenable to manufacturing in that fashion mm. and then the regulator is going to say we don't want to see things for children so gummies are going to disappear and I mm -hmm. think there's you know going to be a big push in California to get rid of some of the candy type things like that yeah um well which, what about with yeah. samples so who gets the sample to get it tested because if the cultivator is yeah. like if oh I can man pick, if i can pick my own sample well, right, yeah, i'll exactly. just take the cherry right. pick top of the where tree I didn't put you know any where i didn't spray anything yes yeah like so in oregon they have independent sampling agents and I think a lot of people in California may become disappointed to hear that is exactly what they want good. the distributor to do. Yeah. So well, the yeah, distributor good, right? is not Third the right party. word, right? So let's say California has just missed two words gravely, <laughs> one being volatile and one being distributor, yeah. right? So what they meant was combustible or highly flammable, mm -hmm. right? Butane, propane, things like that. They have defined volatile properly now in the cleanup language. We worked with them to make sure that yeah. that was done. Enough people and scientists were involved to say this is really the intent so that you didn't lose the ability yeah. to even have a cleaning solvent present in a non-volatile license. You know, yeah. like that's, you can't do that, guys. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, so that got corrected. Okay. But what they looked at for distributor was actually like quality control and assurance mm -hmm. agent. Yeah. Right? Exactly. So their key function, and the, you're right, labs and the sampling agents are the extension of the regulatory arm. They're the guys helping mm -hmm. to police everything with the regulator. And yeah. they send the flag up when they see something. 
in the in California, the distributor was the guy that is supposed to be taking the samples, mm -hmm. right? So the batch goes to him. They are the ones that are going to be on the hook for: is it according to the label? Mm -hmm. Is it within these margins of the label? Does it have pesticides or not? And how are you sure it's exactly what you say it is? So that individual wow. will probably be double checking the manufacturing individual who yep. said, "Look, I've tested and I know." Mm -hmm. Or I just think I'm so good, I know, right? Yep. <laughs> like, that's the guy that's not going to make it. <laughs> that he sends it to the distributor who's literally now holding the bag and cannot take it to market or and even via transport or anything until they've had it independently tested for label accuracy, purity, and all the testing requirements that they're going to unveil. They can't even give the flower back to the cultivator if it fails. They would have to destroy it. They have to destroy yeah. it, exactly, no. which is... I was yeah. at a bummer meeting, um, I think, in August, and they were still kind of figuring that out, but that's yeah, insane to yeah. me yeah. that... And by you bummer, have to just, you yeah. mean BMMR. Yes, yeah. sorry. <laughs> just now the BMCR. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so the regulatory uh, agency that's going to be instilling the regulations yeah. in California. The Bureau. Yeah, the so, Bureau. Yeah. Well, I think they don't know exactly how that's supposed to go. They're hearing large amounts of arguments from people like the Teamsters and the mm -hmm. UFCW yes. and guys who said, oh, distributor, that means me, right? I can come in, take a big margin out of the game, and just drive things around, Yeah. Uh, right? I'll sell and drive. Yep. So I'm not saying that there's not some function and service there, but what the California law intended and yeah. what the regulator needs is, is someone doing quality party? control and assurance right and there. And that shouldn't be the so, distributor. That not if be. they're motivated to take the product to market, exactly. too. That was what they were exactly. trying to eliminate. They were trying to yep. say the manufacturer is motivated mm -hmm. to push a product out even if it's got pesticides in it or not. Yeah. And, and by the way, this happens in the dietary supplement industry and can even happen in the mm. pharma industry. They are just looked at by the FDA, can come in and check all of your records. And I have personally met individuals in the dietary supplement industry they came to our lab because they saw our degree. They thought mm -hmm. that we could get it done. Since we're in the cannabis industry, we must be unethical individuals willing to lie about stuff, right? Oh, wow. And was asked to change results or do the most minimum stuff that you could possibly do to say, yes, we are testing FDA. Wow. And I was like, no, like, that's not degree. how that's we do it. Like, uh, you know, there's this thing called integrity that's yeah. exceptionally important that we've worked years on building. That we yeah. don't just change results. And we don't just make lacking. stuff up. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's just not present enough. And it's not okay. It turned out the one guy had switched an E. coli test. So his product failed and he shipped it anyway. And the FDA found that. Right? So they found it through an audit, but not before it went out to market, not before yeah, people good. were exposed to that. Really and if you're dealing with medicinal agents right, mm -hmm. or people who are sick from chemotherapy or other types of stuff, you really want to make sure that's done right. So the regulator can't check everything. right? That's not going to work. Yeah. So how do we set up a system where everyone's independent of that interest and they're not the ones contracted to take that to market? Yeah. So we might see the regulations say the distributor has to test, but it can't be the same distributor that has the contract for taking that to the dispensary. They should have a QC company like an organ has that that's the all they agent. do they where yeah. that they have no interest in whether it passes yeah. or fails and labs can do it in oregon it's, too it's so yeah. that would be the other one like a lab could come and do it and they're like yeah the lab's independent their goal is to be a good accurate lab if they fake a result they lose their license so you could have Period, them come yeah. out and do the sampling somebody other than the manufacturer yeah. or even distributor that has an interest in financially exactly. rewarding you financial know, taking that to market yeah has to do that type the of function. The fox watching the hens. I mean, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And, and so with that's a pretty good segue where you're talking yeah. about the medicinal quality and people on chemotherapy, and there's been the news that has recently come out about 
these young people that, you know, had immune, their immune systems were suppressed Mm -hmm. because they were going through chemotherapy. And they found that this one kid had passed away from a fungus that they attribute to cannabis having been tainted, you know, with... Um, was it a pathogenic fungus? Do you remember which one it was? I can't so, remember. So, I mean, the, the question would be, is that the only place you could get the fungus? Mm-hmm. Certainly, there are lots of potential contaminants that could be present in cannabis. And yeah. that was why we felt it was so important someone had to be offering some sort of quality control and assurance. Yeah. You are providing medicine to immunocompromised, sick and weakened individuals, mm-hmm. people who could be more susceptible to these types Absolutely. of things. Yes. So, it's a, a really high responsibility bar to actually say, I'm giving you medicine, right? Mm-hmm. So, that's why there are these extreme amounts of protocols on a federal sense, right? Um, That are severely lacking. And in the absence of that, you do have these potential problems. So Mm -hmm. it's the state's responsibility now to say, how do we watch product purity? How does this get done? Is it possible that someone has been exposed? Uh, Absolutely. Have they been exposed to pesticides? I Mm -hmm. think that that's a pretty good probability, too. Yeah. Um, And really, it's, it's very unfortunate. So in a black market, you very well may get a product, but you Mm -hmm. might not see that again. Mm -hmm. In this gray market where we're at, a patient could come to the dispensary, find a strain that works for them, and consistently access that. But that could be contaminated with pesticides and or bacteria Mm -hmm. to the point where now it's chronic exposure of that same type of pesticide. Mm. Then we could see new problems that we haven't even seen before. So like cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome. That is a lot of people. A lot of people are like they refuse like cannabis cannot hurt anybody. And I'm like. You know... It's not going to kill you where it turns off your heart and lungs. Yeah. But the you, CHS you is when you have too much cannabinoids. Yeah. And your body's telling you... Could it be? I need to get him, I need to get him out. That's why it's oh. trying to vomit. But could right? it be a pesticide or a fungicide? No, I believe it is your body saying, I have too much of this exogenous Okay, good, because that's what I've been saying. Yeah. Oh, so okay, take a break, good. right? So yeah. think of cannabis this way. It can dial you up and down, right? Mm-hmm. So if I'm suffering from something and I have like endocannabinoid deficiency syndrome, mm-hmm. I might need to have exogenous cannabinoids come in and and be introduced from the plant or other sources into Mm -hmm. my body. Your body stores cannabinoids, right? I think we all can hear that this guy, the chronic user, fails his test 30, 60 days later. Why does that happen that way? Well, cocaine is cleared in two days because your body's like, that's trash, get it out of here. But cannabinoids... I'll use them in exceptionally yeah. small amounts. I'm not trying to get me high every day, <laughs> right? That's not the goal. The body is trying to use those to regulate inflammation, appetite, mood, sleep cycle, pain, mm-hmm. everything. So they're good for the body in the right amount, right? There's yeah. a fine line between medicine and poison, and that's the dose. Yes. And yes. you can never do it inside of, you know, with cannabis. Yes. So if I have too much of these cannabinoids, right, the... the early sign of too much is the euphoria and the the high feeling. Mm -hmm. Okay, that was a little more than I probably needed for Mm -hmm. my physiological reduction in pain. But I didn't, you know, shut off my heart and lungs. I didn't ever do it. I'm okay. Right? But if I keep doing that every day and I keep driving that function and I take a lot of edibles and I'm Mm -hmm. dabbing oil and I'm consuming more and more and more over Mm -hmm. an excessive period of time, now it's built up to the point where I can't get it out of there and my body's like, that's too much. And yes. that's when you see the hyperemesis oh. syndrome generated. Yeah. So I don't think it's a very common problem. No, I don't it's think a lot of people very have rare. had it. 
But because it means like, you need a lot of oh, cannabinoids wow. for all of a sudden it exists. It's like no, maybe it's been happening and we didn't yeah. know what it was. It may not I have been prevalent because there's more access to that yeah. too, exactly. right? Exactly, so, and there's more interest in it, and there's yeah. science. And now there's more data, it. there's yeah. more information, there's more. Exactly. And now you've labeled it so someone yeah. can refer to it as something that usually helps totally. to make it a disease. Yeah, right. right? I've heard exactly. of one case of that myself where it was someone who's been using cannabis rather heavily mm-hmm. for like over thirty years. Okay. And and it did help when they introduced terpenes into the system that they needed less cannabinoids and they could start to mitigate the oh, hyperemesis syndrome. Interesting. So just trying to chase the wrong thing. I, they thought they needed more edibles. They thought they needed yeah. to consume more cannabinoids. And yeah. it wasn't just because that. Because you would think that it's no. an anti-emetic, but Which for, it is a rare right amount, yeah, for a rare <laughs> amount of people, it's not that it's not going to have an anti-emetic function for you. It can make you throw up even more. Yep. For when you go too much. So yeah. too little, like you're. I'm learning so much, guys. I feel yeah. behind in the science class. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm like yeah. all over it. Um, and I've I've heard from several people on LinkedIn that were like, I've suffered the same thing. Like I dabbed or I was smoking for years, and this one thing, like when I would smoke, and the only way I could feel relief is to be in a hot, hot shower. shower. Yeah. And then once oh, I wow. stopped, it went away. And everyone's yeah. like, "That's not true." It's like the man. I'm like, "Yo." It's your body telling it's you to less. It's you know? Yeah. yeah. I want to ask a question. You were mentioning that someone would be, like, relying. They'd go and get a certain strain, right? Mm-hmm. And then they'd be, you know, accustomed to that. And one of the things you – I'm wondering if you've seen in Oregon and Washington and other regulated markets is are you seeing that farms are actually branding? So then they would know, like, oh, I'm not just getting Blue Dream. I'm getting to. Blue Dream from Simone's farm to yes. really – because yeah. they're probably, I think that's the beautiful part of regulations. Right? It will bring about the interest of people wanting to brand their farm. Mm-hmm. right? So you don't see it in California as much because they're still slightly hiding, yeah. Yeah. right? So they're like, I don't want anyone to know it was Simone, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, good Lord, Simone's don't do that. Farm? Yeah. Right? But in the regulated markets where there's state license, yeah. they are branding, right? Simone's Farm produces this. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have Blue Dream, Jack Hare, and White Widow, mm-hmm. those might not be the same as Kristen's yeah. Blue Dream, White Widow, and Jack Hare. So that's yeah. currently also a problem. So I cannot rely on a strain name to say that it is actually that strain. Yeah. You can't go look up that profile online and say this is what it's going to do medically. Those databases are pretty much a database of garbage because yeah. no one knows what's Blue Dream and no yes. one knows what's, you know, it's Skywalker or <laughs> White yeah. Widows. So right. it's one of the projects, and it was one of the things that got me into cannabis. How do we figure out the right taxonomic profile? Mm-hmm. And we've called it, you know, chemotaxonomy. Like, so how do I look at all the chemicals and the chemical mm-hmm. fingerprint to say this set of molecules is what makes this product? So mm-hmm. that's what we're working on, and it's taken a lot longer than I would have ever yeah. thought. <laughs> it's a lot more complicated, but we're we're really getting close to saying we've got a good system of how we look okay. at these products and these you know plant and derivative products to say this is the code number we're going to give it, so patients and doctors can start to say that's the type that I would need I for see. this type of individual. Yeah. Whether I want to be awake or asleep, or I have this type of pain or a chronic mm-hmm. Crohn's condition or mm-hmm. cancer type things, we need a better way of talking as a community right yeah. we're just in not just scientists and doctors but everybody to yeah. say this is what's working for me so that harmonized definition system doesn't yet exist today so a strain name doesn't do it no. but we will get closer yes. with regulations by people saying i'm gonna brand that i am simone's 
you know, White yeah. Widow, right? Yeah. So, all right, I don't know what White Widow is yet. Simone's calling this one hers. Mm -hmm. But I know Simone's is the one that works for me, and mm -hmm. I can consistently get that as long as you are really diligent in your production, yeah. right? And so, is it the same? Is it always going yeah. to wall? Terroir. Is it yes, always terroir. going, uh, like, is it in the right environment? Yeah. Is that replicated across different geographic regions? Am mm, I able yeah. to dry and cure it the same way, package yep. it the same way, and send it to market the exact same way every time? Wow. I'm just, like, probably thinking 10, 15 years in advance, but, like, there's so many, you know, the licensing. Oh, licensing brands, and we see it much more in the edible market, but just thinking mm -hmm. about that later on, like, Simone's Farm, as I cultivate in California with completely different yeah. geographic you know, maybe it's indoor, then what if I wanted to have a brand outdoor? And yep. then as a consumer looking at that, and there's so much work to be done yes. in this industry from a scientific perspective. You've been in it since 2008. Like, what percentage do you think we're at uh, in terms of this scientific understanding of what this plant is? Less than one. Yeah, that really. Yeah, and I, it's I, like I think fractions so of a good. decimal place because I think we're just really scr scratching Scr the tip of a gigantic iceberg. Yes. So a I, super interesting one. Yeah, I used a, an analogy for one of the senators that it's it's like a soccer ball where mm -hmm, you saw mm -hmm. the panels of the soccer ball. Yeah. And we've kind of looked at one panel as like medical cannabis and we might be a millimeter thick on that uh -huh. panel. One on the other side is this thing we call hemp. Mm -hmm. But we've got this entire soccer ball yet of space that we haven't even looked at, tapped into, or thought about doing things with. So that's kind of like where we're at in our level of understanding. It's very, very, very early, and we don't understand much. And it's I like, know that that's not the most comforting, <laughs> but we know that it can be very helpful. It's got enormous amounts of potential. Yeah. The, po the potential harms are exceptionally low. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So go after it with everything. And I think, you know, it would make a lot more sense when we put things on Schedule 1 to yeah. say that it's mandatory to spend billions of dollars of research to know why yeah. it's there yeah. and where it should go. Yeah. Not, let's just put it away, throw it away, and say never use it. I think mm -hmm. we can all agree that the eradication strategy doesn't work. No. <laughs> like, no, that's a waste of time, money, resources, and a lot of people's freedom that suffered for that. That's yeah. not fair. Mm -hmm. um, we should actually have to focus on those things and generate more research efforts for that so that we can really understand why it's supposed yeah. to be there or not and how to best use it. I think And also, educate about it, right? Yes. That's where Education. isolates come in. It's very interesting to see where people are like, we have CBD isolate. Now I'm seeing CBG isolate, CBC isolate, and then you've got your terpenes that mm -hmm. you're working with. So yep. it's like the entourage effect, which actually it's the ensemble effect. Right, right? Yeah, we've talked about that. Yeah, yeah. because they mm -hmm. all play a part. It's mm -hmm. not just THC yeah. and then all these like mm -hmm. followers. But, I mean, when you break things down to just, you know, one mm -hmm. molecule... That's how you can create, like, I mean, that's where pharmaceuticals come from, right? right? And that's where cannabis fails, right? So single mm -hmm, exactly. molecule Marinol is not as effective. That's yeah. just THC by itself, right? It's not as effective okay. as whole plant THC. Mm -hmm. Why you is that? Because it's just ensemble. one thing, right? Exactly. They all play so, a part. Yep. So, but by creating isolates and then putting them together where you've got your CBC, CBG, CBD mixed in, and then you add some different terpenes or whatever you can replicate that over and over. So that would make a much more standardized product. Right. So it is able and to I get there, but how many things might we be throwing away that we want and didn't know about? Mm -hmm. Like, what's the right amount of this molecule or not? Um, you do see the race to purity. Like, I can get 99% CBD, 
look like I could have made that in 2008 right mm-hmm. that's what we're skilled in yeah. doing that's not the goal yeah like it's yeah. not to say like look at my macho side I can go ahead and make this <laughs> no it's to make the most effective medicine and that's to make it reproducibly the same every single exactly. time with as many components that the plant gives you initially as possible mm-hmm. so and not one so not many. two like there's a lot and of them, that's right? what takes time to yeah. figure it out is yeah. what component does what and there are like thousands of components there are literally just almost countless amounts yeah. of combinations you could have so if there are oh. up to 500 different things they've now had the number as high as 1400 different molecules have been found in cannabis so it's not in every one 1400 right? yeah, yeah. yeah well some are made by the plant some are artifacts of heat so yeah. like the plant doesn't make thc yeah. right it only makes thc acid mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so THC, they're saying, is on the plant, (laughs) but the plant didn't manufacture it. So I might have microbiological things that manufacture other cannabinoid derivatives from that. So CBN wouldn't be that way. CBN is a byproduct, isn't it? Yeah, that's another byproduct further of THC. So you've got a lot of things that end up on the plant, but the plant doesn't manufacture Mm -hmm. them themselves. So the number can get really large, but it's like, what can I access? When can I access it? What would make sense to say this natural product can generate it? And how much do people need of all of those? Do I need two of them? Do I need five? Yeah. Uh, interesting work in Israel by Ruth Galili showed that single molecule CBD had an exceptionally narrow therapeutic window. But when they had mm-hmm. a whole plant extract, which mm-hmm. wasn't well defined but had a lot of the other stuff more like we see in our concentrates today, the therapeutic window was exceptionally broad. Mm-hmm. So the medical utility out of these things with multiple components is much greater than if you have just one molecule. Yeah, so those saying, yeah. like, I've got the answer with the isolates are wrong. Yeah. And yeah. that's, I mean, yeah. it's one of the reasons we see cannabis where it's at yeah. today and why it has not gone down the traditional pharmaceutical path. It's a very different uh, animal that you got to yeah. wrestle with. Yeah. Well, so I think we have, like, two more questions before the speed round. So I'll ask one, and then you ask one. It's federally legal. Schedule one. You mentioned Israel. I've interviewed some people. Like, you, you also mentioned you were at a conference in Poland. Mm-hmm. How far behind is the United States due to its federal illegality in terms of science and research, do you think? I think we're, I think we're pretty far behind as a globe, <laughs> in fact. <laughs> okay. There are some others in Europe or mm-hmm. outside of the U.S. that have advanced much further, um, mm-hmm. ones who have had access to some of the molecules or ways to probe the system. Mm-hmm. I think what we've been doing was um, around the world, and even some in the U.S. have done a lot with looking at the biological system. So they'll make new molecules that probe the endocannabinoid system. Didn't need access to the plant to do all of that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'd still like to know what THC does or what CBD does. Mm-hmm. So So what you can see if you look at a review of CBD is that it doesn't hit one receptor. It actually hits 65 of them. (laughs) So if I'm a, you know, research scientist that says I want single molecule CBD and I'm going to go look at the calcium ion channels and see what happens. Hey, Mm -hmm. look, CBD does this. Okay? Mm -hmm. That is a tiny piece of information and a little bit of what goes on. Mm -hmm. So none of us are really looking at that in this gigantic bird's eye systems view to say all of these things happen at once. Because it's too complicated and we're just not really yeah. able yeah. to handle that one yet. So it's, I think, you know, that's why I would say the globe is behind and how do yeah. I handle this and how do I push that forward and how do I understand it in that complex sense. They have been able to do other research. You see the Dutch have definitely had standardized cannabinoid plant mm-hmm. medicine, right? It's now reimbursed by healthcare, so we're gravely behind in that respect. I didn't know that. Yeah, oh, yeah. wow. Well, um, GW Pharmaceuticals, yeah. They right? make a standardized extract, right? Whole they now plant. make two of them, right? Mm-hmm. So one is Sativex, the other one is Epidiolex. 
Sativex was useful through the clinical trial for MS patients with pain, but boy, has it failed almost every other trial that they've tried to send it through. Really? And that's because it's not one. It well, too. yeah, because now that I've got it regulated and I can make it, what else can I apply mm-hmm, it to mm-hmm. in a marketing sense? Is yeah. what yeah. that game is. But yeah. that's not the way that this product works, right? So there may be one plant for one person. There may be one product composition that's good for a patient. How do mm-hmm. you deliver that when? If I need a billion dollars to get through the hurdles, I'm not going to want to do it for one guy. So you're going to either leave a lot of people behind, you're going to lose a lot of information, Mm -hmm. and that's kind of where we're at today, Mm -hmm. where all of us are going to get involved and we're going to be able to deliver medicines in individualized fashions and things for everybody at their own individual therapeutic level. That's That's much more interesting to me. Like, How do we get everybody involved in that value chain? Because we could generate jobs, we could generate people's livelihoods, we could help a lot of people be healthier and not feel as sick. And just improve everyone's well-being all the way around. Absolutely. Demystifying cannabis. Because there's so many people, I mean, I think the benefits, sorry, and then I know no, it's, it's, your, it's your question. <laughs> I, I, no, I, I don't, like, just want to keep no, talking. I don't have any other questions. I've nailed everything. Oh, you have? So, yeah, continue. Okay. I just, you know, we talk medical, adult use, recreational, and you mentioned, well, really. Physiological it's use. Physiological, right? Yeah. And I, I think the beauty of about the adult use market is that now people who are were afraid of going to a dispensary and having that conversation about, you know, yeah. curing something, that's they're actually able to have it. But, yeah, you mentioned there's still so much science that, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and education. We've talked a lot about that of, you know, resources for patients to actually understand what works for them, what doesn't. Yeah. How would you, like, what would you recommend for somebody knowing that we are at that 1% right, right. level yeah. Yeah. of to be informed? You know, yeah, like, it's a little bit of a challenge yeah. today, but it's a community-based effort. So mm-hmm. if only if all of us start to harmonize our language, our terminology, mm-hmm. understand that we're consistent in the products that we're making, mm-hmm. um, you know, will we start to advance that? So in the okay. absence of that, I think consumers just really have to try and be as diligent as possible. Do you have a current test result on this one? A current one, not mm-hmm. did it ever get tested? Yeah. Is it for that product but batch can you or trust anything? The How do we know that that's mm-hmm. actually what that was? I mean, yeah. I think some of that is still an open question mark. So so it is mm-hmm. buyer beware, mm-hmm. um, and there's not much that you're going to do uh, other than that. I yeah. mean, if you're ailing and you need some sort of benefit, yeah. the benefits will outweigh, you know, outweigh those risks. 100%. I would hope, yeah. um, and that I think that's the best that we're going to see today. Yeah. So pushing regulations, pushing things like that, you only get more research, and you only do have people advancing even the medical conversation mm-hmm. when adult use is opened up. Yeah. So a okay. lot of people are like, "Hey, medical use isn't that enough?" Like, not really, because people don't ask for the right questions. They still have people who are feeling that it's illegal and they're afraid of accessing Mm -hmm. it. So a lot of medical patients only come into the system when it actually is legalized for adult Mm -hmm. use. Cash flow doesn't flow into the research and R&D. We can't Mm -hmm. break down the Schedule 1 hurdles until those are done. Mm -hmm. We're never going to know more as a scientific or even general population Mm -hmm. until we can do much more with it, and that's until all those barriers to entry are actually gone. So support that. Mm -hmm. I mean, even if you're like, I think people should use it for medicine, but I'm not okay with what I think might be adult use. You should think about that again and say, it's probably going to be better to improve the medicinal use if I do allow the adult 
adult use as well. Mm -hmm. And who am I to stand in someone else's way of freedom if they're just doing that for themselves? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't yeah. think anyone's saying go drive around like that, mm -hmm. but they do it with alcohol, Oxycontin, Vicodin, exactly. mm -hmm. Percocet, yeah. you name it, right? Yeah. They're on all of those. Yeah. So no I have, I mean, one of the things that Alma did for California was it did put a bunch of money into the DUI study. Yeah. So I've talked with the scientists who are doing that work. It's, oh, it's yeah. exciting that they're going to be able to try and do it the right way yeah. and define what type of field sobriety test or it's blood or saliva level test mm -hmm. or how am I going to check that this is actually quote unquote intoxication and I kind of joked with them and said you guys probably realize like you'll have the answer when all the automated cars are here and no one's driving yeah, anyway right. <laughs> because it's that complicated yeah so. and it's all to me field sobriety test period because for someone who dabs all the time yeah. they don't have to be high to score ridiculously high in their saliva or their oh, blood yeah. or whatever yeah yeah, yeah. It has to be like yeah. it's not a magic you, line in the sand. No, Cannabis yeah. doesn't work that way. Yeah, if I smoke it, at like two yeah. hits of a joint, I'm super high, and Kristen might not be. Like, right. what yeah. does that mean? Can you yeah. bunch definitely won't it? Be. No, exactly. <laughs> no, so, yeah, and and I think a field sobriety test should be done just like we do things in the lab with what's called an internal standard. So I have something that I know is actually sober. That yes. should be the cop yeah. should have to do the field sobriety test on camera in the same conditions while the individual does. And now mm -hmm. I've got a great comparable because maybe they're on a hill. Maybe it was cold and icy. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was, you know, Ooh, bad conditions. Really maybe other people mm -hmm. are, mm -hmm. you know, not comfortable going through that kind of thing. So how can I have, I'm you know, pretty sure I'd, checkpoints yeah. I'd fail a sobriety test out of fear of the oh, police. Oh, well, that's yeah, the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, my anxiety, I just was just waking going up in the morning, customs. I'd fail that test. Yeah, I don't <laughs> go through customs like, where did you come from? Right. Who were you with? And I felt like I committed a crime. Yeah, I mean, there's just this fear that you innately have when you're under the yeah. crazy circumstances. Yeah, and I can't do the alphabet backwards when I'm sober, <laughs> so that's not fair. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Speed round? Speed round. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Yeah. So I'll go first. Any words of wisdom to others considering getting into the cannabis industry by way of analytical testing, be it as an employee, a lab owner, or an investor? Yeah, be very careful with what you're doing. It's going to be a long, challenging road. Um, the regulations are changing. The capital requirements will be extreme for any lab testing. If you are uh, wanting to be an operator, make sure you know who the owners are. Make sure they have the right financial resources. Mm -hmm. And make sure you can do it where you're doing it at. So yeah. I don't want to move a lab. That's no fun. That's mm -hmm. not an easy process. I want to know that I'm welcomed. I want to know that I can get licensed. And I want to know what the regulations are, at least sensible today, and how they're going to possibly change and be active in understanding those regulations and influencing them with any lobbying efforts or communications that you can do as, uh, at the local level yourself as well. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Where do you see yourself and your company in one year? Like, you've had such a crazy evolution so since much. 2008. Like, oh. I don't even think we covered, I think we iced no, that, yeah, yeah. your service <laughs> offerings, yeah. right? Yeah. Where do you think you're going to be in a year? Um, I'm hoping we're in probably double the number of states that we're in now. Wow. So we're in um, three. We'll be in four by the middle of the year. And I would hope we'll be in somewhere between six to eight by the end of the year, depending upon how all the timelines go about. Mm -hmm. And that's probably the other piece of advice for all the cannabis entrepreneurs. The regulations and government move mm -hmm. so much slower than you're going to want it to move. Oh, yes. I mean, the cannabis evolution and the world moves very fast. I think you can talk to every operator and be like, wow, I think 
think last week, last week felt like a month. Yes. Right? Or the last years. two months felt like years. Like that, it feels that way because you're working that hard. Mm-hmm. But the rate of change is exceptionally slow, which is so frustrating to me because we saw it in California, right? The legislator said, look, we put the laws in place in mm-hmm. 2015. Wait a minute. Last I checked, we we actually asked for that in 1996, yeah. right? So yeah. that's like 19 years later, if I yeah. did the math right, and you're celebrating yourself. Yeah. That's yeah. the worst job you I could ever do on the planet. Yeah. I'd have to fire myself repeatedly yeah. if I worked at that pace. So yeah. the rate of political change, the rate of regulatory change and legal change is exceptionally slow and, and just very, very, very frustrating here. Yes. yes, investors, did you hear that? <laughs> yes. It takes a long time. Yeah, to get yeah. your ROI. You know, yes. yeah, man, it's not a quick investment. Yeah. Be patient and also know with regulations, you know, <laughs> what takes a lot of the margin are taxes, that your price points are going to go down. Someone built you a spreadsheet that said my price per pound is going to stay the same for the next three years. No. Oh, we know. Oh, we know. <laughs> like, oh, we know. I mean, they go happen. down. I have really disheartening conversations now when I'm talking to somebody who wants to start out a cultivation We hear facility. cultivation. We're yeah. like, mm. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, none yeah. of us can predict, you know, no. it's the a percentage commodity, that it's going to decrease. But yeah. we know it's a commodity. Yeah. When's it going to hit the $1,000? Yeah. Not sure. But right. that's where it's going. So look at hops, yeah. right? So you can have commodity hops for large-scale beer brewing mm-hmm. and other things. Now you can have micro-brews where you have smaller amounts or artisanal type ones you'll see this industry like that in the wine industry in some respects you'll have other levels which are cannabis based medicines so that might be a much higher stringent thing they can get higher pricing Mm -hmm. different types of quality standards for that so you can see cannabis in medicine food dietary supplement nicotine alcohol type plays it cuts across all of them which one are you going after and which one is more or less like the commodity or not that's what you really need to evaluate. Yeah. And what's your long-term strategy and plan would be the, the only way to think. And patient capital is going to be a lot better than those who are impatient. Oh, yeah. yes. yes. Absolutely. Which the last question was to say is what are some best practices you can share with our listeners? Oh, I would just be exceptionally legally diligent. Mm-hmm. And it will be very hard to find attorneys who feel comfortable giving regulatory advice or understanding what's going mm-hmm. on. A defense attorney is good at defense, but they might not be good at corporate transactions. Mm -hmm. So you will probably need an army of attorneys in all sorts of different specialties. And you can think of it like, (laughs) I don't have my heart surgeon doing my knee surgery. Yeah. Right? So I don't have my defense attorney doing my corporate transactions or my intellectual property or other aspects of what I need to do, Mm -hmm. land use and things like that. So they might say, here's the regulations and what you should follow and how you operate. Some other person says where you can land. That might be the same guy, but intellectual property, transactions in terms of licensing or business structures or corporate transactions, totally different people that do those kinds of things. So best practices would be follow the legal, you know, Mm -hmm. bouncing ball, but really, really operate with good quality standards yourselves. Have your standard operating procedures Mm -hmm. and a good responsible book of being professional. Yeah, Um, absolutely. And just try to keep raising the level of competition, right? I think that the cream always rises and there's no more truth in that than out here. Those who are trying to cut corners, not being responsible, not paying their taxes, they're not going to make it. So be a professional. Demonstrate to the rest of the world that's watching us that you can do this the right way at the utmost highest regard Um, and really try and set that up there for yourselves and make others catch you and that's what's going to give you the biggest longevity that you could get i think that's amazing advice and definitely along the lines of what we tell people yeah absolutely awesome well 
thank you so much Jeffrey for Raymond. coming yes. out. Yes. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for sharing your thank insight. You. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you guys too. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome interview. Cannabis Business Minds is recorded by Simone Samaluka Radzins and Kristen Yoder. Produced and edited by Gustavo Bogach at East Venice Recording Studios. Podcast music is by Ketza. You can find more episodes of the show on our website, liv-consulting.com, and you can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.